0: This year, after proposing sizable tax cuts in each of the past two legislative sessions, Governor Mike Pence is calling for a simplification of the state's existing tax code. The corresponding legislation, all 75 pages of it, is anything but simple, however. And some elements have already raised fiscal and philosophical concerns among legislative leaders from the governor's own party. Hi, I'm John Chwanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll examine the push for tax reform and what it could mean for various Hoosier taxpayers, including you. Here's WFYI's Eric Weddle with some background on the issue.
1: Governor Mike Pence wants a simpler tax code to benefit businesses and consumers alike. But how, or if, the General Assembly can get there remains to be seen. A major provision of Pence's proposal would change a sales tax exemption for Hoosier businesses, such as Precision Propeller Indiana, leading to reduced costs for them and their customers. The Indiana Manufacturers Association is pushing for an expanded exemption of the so-called double direct test in the sales tax.
2: Indiana manufacturers pay sales tax on a number of things, including, in some cases, the equipment used to make other goods. Indiana does provide an exemption on that goods based on what is called the double direct test. You only get the exemption when the equipment is directly used in direct production, and that's where the two directs come from. What's being debated at the State House is changing to a single direct test or a modified form of that to expand the number of products, the number, the types of equipment, the different stages of the production process that are sales tax
1: exempt but some lawmakers worry elimination of the tax would be too much of a cut in state revenue. Initial estimates by Penta's office put the cost around $35 million, but LSA, the legislature's bipartisan research agency, calculates a drop in revenue between $130 and $240 million a year. If LSA is correct, the proposal will likely die. I'm Eric Weddle for Indiana Lawmakers.
0: Thanks, Eric. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana lawmakers, from the state house to your house.
2: What if a robotic arm could help disabled students reach for their dreams? It does. Introducing RoboDesk. To learn more about this and more than 400 other world-changing Purdue technologies, visit otc-prf.org.
0: Simplifying the tax code can be complicated stuff. Sort of like the game Jenga, where players build a tower of stacked wooden blocks and then take turns removing the blocks one by one without toppling the entire structure. Basically, it's tough, if not impossible, to make a tweak here without creating a backlash there. At least in Jenga, the law of gravity is a constant. With this round of tax reform, there is not even agreement over what effect some of the changes would have on the state's bottom line. Joining me for a discussion of what we'll call tax code physics are Republican Representative Todd Houston of Fishers, the author of House Bill 1349, the tax simplification plan put forth by the Pence administration, Democratic Representative Ed Delaney of Indianapolis, who maintains the package would do more for business than for the average Hoosier, Micah Vincent, General Counsel and Policy Director of the Indiana Office of Management and Budget, and Andrew Berger, Vice President of Governmental Affairs and Tax Policy for the Indiana Manufacturers Association. I thank you, gentlemen, for being here. And I should point out, I did bring my own <laughs> Jenga game in case you need it to illustrate any points, or at least we can play after the if, tower you are doesn't still, fall. Yeah. if you're all still talking at that point. <laughs> Uh, You know, we're going to dive into a lot of the specifics, but let's start, if if I may, with a a general question. You know, we've had 14 tax uh, adjustments, mostly cuts, in the past uh, 15 years. Brian Bosma, the House Speaker in December, uh, just a couple months back, said, let's take a deep breath. Let's not address any more big tax changes at this point. And yet, here we are with a simplification plan. Wouldn't it be easier just to let some of those 14 taxes, some of which are still being phased in sort of settle and let see where things shake out?
3: Well, I, this is a great question, John. But I think, you know, one, you can never stop. I mean, the economy moves so quickly. You always want to be conscious of making sure that you're creating the right ta- tax policy to support economic development. And, you know, the goals of this tax plan are, are really simple. They're they're doing the very best we can to simplify the tax code for both individuals and, and corporate taxpayers. That's that's. Goal number one. Goal number two is that this isn't a tax cut, that this is a revenue-neutral bill, that what would what would pass would be something that's close to revenue-neutral as possible That but makes the right changes in our tax code to spur economic development in, w- throughout the state.
0: And we'll certainly be getting into sure. whether or not it is actually yeah. revenue-neutral. That's one of the big points out here. Ed Delaney, though, are, do you since there's a, a clamor for this kind of change among your constituents? Uh, you know, years ago, people were mad about the auto excise tax. Then they were ready to... Have a revolution over property taxes. Are you hearing a groundswell? No,
4: there's no clamor from the citizens. They're, they're in particular, they're not demanding that their tax credit for giving to IU and Purdue be taken away, which is part of the package. <laughs> nobody's asked it was that. was part of the package. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's asked for that other than the governor. Uh, and the manufacturers are, and Andrew and others are doing a very nice job of being very, very quiet about asking for a $250 million annual tax cut. <laughs>
0: clamor, no. There we get back to that bottom line question. We are going to get to that, but again if I could stay with the general uh, topics here for just a moment. A lot of these ideas uh, came out of this day-long summit that the governor had uh, back, I think it was in June, and quite a a number of, uh, you know, notable tax experts, uh, or at least people with strong opinions, depending on your affiliation. Grover Norquist was there, uh, Arthur Laffer of, Laffer Curve fame one that, the, the comment that caught my attention was Jim Eads, who at one time headed the National Federation of Tax Administrators, who said "Comprehensive tax reform is often talked about but seldom achieved Is that, is that uh, a fair assessment
5: well I think it 's accurate to say that it's, it is a big task. Uh, I think that the way we 're taking it on this year though is an intelligent way. But, You know, the the thing about simplifying the tax code is that you're not looking at one piece, but you're looking at multiple pieces, and, and you're also looking at the natural momentum of the tax code. The natural momentum of the tax code, like many other areas of the law, is to get more and more complex as time goes by. And so if you're not going back and looking at that pruning process and saying, did we really mean to do this change here, is this the right way, or how can we actually simplify this code so it's easier for taxpayers to take part in this, have a more level playing field, if we're not actively doing that, then we're passively letting it get more complex. And so I think that's a very important thing to remember as we talk about this as a, as a whole piece. Of course, when you talk about simplification or improvement, that's often in the eye of the beholder. I know
0: Andrew Berger Uh, You've worn different hats, and right now you're representing the Indiana Manufacturers Association, but not that long ago, you were representing uh, public policy interests of the uh, Indiana Association of Counties, which is sort of the other end of the equation. They're wanting to to make sure there's a steady flow of revenue from some of these existing, some would say complicated taxes is it is it is that does that make this much i mean everybody has well most everybody seems to have a dog in the fight in some fashion and in many cases they're changing depending on on session or or a particular topic
2: yeah i think all players in this debate appreciate the virtues of simplification it helps administrative staff to do their jobs it helps the taxpayers fill out their forms it helps the legislature craft policy that they know what the pluses and minuses are. We've talked about the Jenga box. You want some you, Jenga? You, hit if, you hit a bu- if you hit a button and you don't know what happens on the back end, that doesn't help anybody's job. And I think if we can reach those or find good answers to those questions about how much this, does this does cost and how much everybody can afford, if a simplification is the end policy result, then it's a, it's a win for everyone, I think.
0: Let's dive into some of the specifics, as promised. Uh, Ed Delaney, you mentioned the the college credits, and this was, as I understand it, the oldest tax credit in Indiana's tax code back to 1964, Uh, younger than I am, Mm -hmm. barely, Uh, or I mean older than I am, I should say. Uh, That apparently has a short uh, shelf life. Uh, Brian Bosma indicated last week that he likes the tax code, uh, and this, of course, gives Hoosiers who donate to their Colleges and universities either a hundred dollar max individually or two hundred dollars for couples. Yep. Sorry to see that go, or can you live with that change?
3: No, it, it will it, absolutely. It's fine to let it go. You know, in reality, John, when you put a bill like this together, you're you're trying to create and stimulate conversation. Does this tax credit, in of itself, generate enough activity? Does it generate new donors? worth enough for the state to lose that amount of revenue? It's and that's the question. Nine, about nine, $9. million dollars, right? So is that is that nine million dollars that the state is giving up? Is it really changing behavior? Is it really driving additional donations to college and universities? We had a great discussion around that, the neighborhood assistance programs, the urban enterprise zones, and those we we have the type of discussion we want to have about it we heard the value of them and we're now going to pull that out of the bill but you know I don't think that we should have any sacred cows I think we should continually look at this I think you know and, and say to ourselves this is an investment the state's making is it the right investment we heard loud and clear it is and so we're going to react back to that there are other ones though that frankly have been on the books for a long time that nobody came and testified nobody's reached out that frankly you know they aren't having the type of impact that, that is needed so they should be um, you know, removed. The universities tend to have a way of uh, getting uh, constituents' attention they, and they, your attention they did. as <laughs>
0: they well. They were active. You mentioned the notion of driving behavior I and mean, a lot of credits. I mean, that's sort of a staple of tax policy at the state and federal level. For I mean, is that what government should do? Some would say, I guess, that you know, just throw this this basic uh, percentage rate out there and be done with it. Or do you want to in, encourage people to buy homes if we're talking about the federal government or? insulate their homes, put up storm doors. Well, it's the in- great
4: question is what do you want to support like universities, and how do you want to support it? Do you want to do it by tax credits or direct payment? We could get rid of the tax credit tomorrow and send the money to them in a check. All right, we have enough money to do that. So you've got to decide how to do it. Well, there I think the universities feel, and I think they're right, you inspire behavior by telling a young person, we'll give you a credit if you make a small contribution to your university. Hopefully they get addicted to giving to the university, and we all make out. They go way beyond the credit. That's what the university thinks is happening. I think that's probably true in that case. Back to the simplification issue. Everybody wants simplification. And, by the way, there is some in here. For example, on the earned income credit and other things, we're, we're trying to link to the federal law so that you don't have to have a separate, detailed Indiana tax return on some of these issues. That's all to the good. That's easy. But <clears throat> on Andrew's issue, which is how we tax purchases by manufacturers, no one can understand the current law without a PhD. So if you touch <laughs> it, you, you, it, you will either simplify it or make it so complex it can never be understood. <clears throat> uh, but there's big money on that, and
0: I think the policy is wrong on that. So it always comes down to policy. Well, let's, let's, do let's jump into that right now. There's no getting We've all sort of touched on it, uh, making references to the dollar impact. The, the provision in question, the double direct test, now, jump in here because I don't have a Ph.D., yeah. uh, certainly not anything close to this topic. But basically, manufacturers, when they're doing business-to-business transactions or purchases, if they buy something that isn't directly used in the manufacturing process, right. they get dinged for the 7% state sales tax. Yes. And, and it, you want to loosen that. Yeah, exactly. and it's, right.
2: it's not it's directly used in direct production, which is where Hence you get the, the double term direct. double direct. And the language that Representative Houston introduced and has gotten all the discussion, or at least a lot of the discussion, has been making more parts of the production process tax-exempt, uh, whether that's – I mean, and there's a hundred examples. You know, the refrigerator that something's kept in while it's got to cool down in the middle of the production process. I mean, the forklift, taking things off of the out of the warehouse and moving it to your assembly line. A new word that I learned is called a palletizer, the thing that puts the packaging together at the end before you ship it to Walmart or something like that. Uh, all these things, when you buy a new piece of equipment, the business pays sales tax on it. But the issue, A, that it adds cost to the business, each time you have to put that sales tax on, it increases the overall cost of the good, and that ends up to the consumer. So you're hurting investment and you're hurting the consumer through an increase in cost and that's why I think the policy is we should make these changes.
0: Mike, does it really have that much of an impact? I mean, would this really spur manufacturers uh, and other businesses to say, hey, you know, we can do more now, we can be more aggressive in hiring and, and in purchasing?
5: Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, I think anytime and, and exempting business inputs from sales tax is pretty well accepted tax policy and that's something that every state, every you know, countries are looking at that at a, at a very big level. So that's, that's pretty well accepted tax policy. And I think this discussion actually makes the point of why uh, this item needs to be discussed and thought about in a tax package, simplification package, because it is very complex. It is something that uh, we're the only state in the country that does a double direct test, direct use in the direct production so well, what's one. that mean? We're number, we're number one. one. We're, we're number one. one. Or number 50, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how you look at it. Right. And uh, so, so the only state that does that, uh, this is something that the Commission on Business Personal Property and Business Taxation looked at this summer and said, yes, we need to look at how we can move away from this test. Uh, certainly, there's big discussions on the fiscal, and we can jump into that. Uh, as we've stated before, we're, we're absolutely committed to you know, ending with a final package that is tax neutral. And there are certain ways you can, can narrow this as we have that discussion. So there are other pieces of that. I think the policy is very settled that uh, taxing business inputs is not good policy. But, but it right, ends up. Yeah. You,
4: you're never going to get to revenue neutral if you give the manufacturers that break. Well, it's but, 10 times bigger yeah. than all the other issues.
3: But Ed, I, I think you know, as you know, you don't. We don't get the LSA fiscal analysis until the bill is filed. And you know now that we have the LSA fiscal analysis. We know of their their um, estimate of lost revenue. We can make the changes based upon that. And I think you know we will narrow the the uh, the impact of double direct and and shrink it to the fact that we can meet that goal of being revenue neutral. But I don't think you know we'd have to have a larger, broader-based tax conversation to take the whole double direct. Aspect. So you're going to make um, it
4: more complicated, Todd. That's the problem. The no, only I way think, you can shrink it is to make uh, it more complicated. No, I think you yeah, can. It, it's ways. about where you yeah.
3: define where the um, where the process actually begins and the manufacturing process actually begins. Mm-hmm. How, how did we
0: get such a disparity? I mean, granted, LSA oftentimes their fiscal note might not match what sponsors of bills. But you know, as has been noted and discussed, it's either you know administration was thinking $35 million impact and then LSA says, no, it's more like 130 to 240 million. So, again, we're not even, how do you, can you explain I'm not
4: sure, with all due respect, that the current administration can count very well, okay? We've seen the BMV issue. We've seen this issue. You know, I don't think they're very good at the math, okay? I think they're very good at policy and deciding what issues they like. And, you know, the problem here is if I'm in business... I'm going to pick whatever tax I think I can knock off that favors my business. That's only natural, all right? And we have an overall tax climate here that's incredibly favorable to business. So then some businesses, Andrew's clients, for example, come in and say, well, here's one that I really don't like because it affects me. Let's get rid of that, too. I mean, we're never going to stop offending someone with a tax, okay? And we need to know how to count. I think those two things need to be put together. Well, let's, let's get
0: uh, Mike's sure. input because you are one of the top bean counters, and I mean that in the most affectionate <laughs> way for the administration. How do you, how do you explain it? The yeah,
5: well, the Department of Revenue analysis was, uh, and 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 going and stepping back from that a little bit. You know, we have talked earlier about how complicated this is. And so this is not one test, but it's, uh, it's looking at this test over multiple iterations, and you're looking at each different areas. And there are a lot of assumptions that are made that go into that. There are a lot of assumptions that are made that go into the LSA analysis, a lot of assumptions that are made that go into the Department of Revenue analysis, uh, things like levels of compliance. You know, what, what are you assuming in terms of current compliance with the law? What are you assuming in terms of with each individual test, each individual piece of equipment? So there are a lot of of complexities in this, much as as we've discussed here today. Uh, so to actually go through it line by line, you'd have to you'd have to say
3: each individual item and how you look Sounds at. Like it. Sounds like
0: the Jenga box is coming out uh,
3: again. Yeah. That's well, that's right but on. but John, the most important thing about the entire conversation though around this is we use LSA legislatively, so we're going to stand by those numbers and we'll create a bill that meets the that. The LSA numbers to create a fiscally neutral bill. I mean, and you,
0: Andrew, you work in this industry now. Which is closer to the accurate number? Can you, you guys (laughs) must have your uh, finger on the uh, pulse. The (laughs) Department of
2: Revenue has the data, and I, and I mean, I hope that they're talking LSA and Department of Revenue to find what a a number that everybody can And that would suggest
0: the the, the revenue number the department of revenue that's the, the lower that's of the clo- number i think that's, that's closer you think yes. that's closer
3: all right let's but uh, we're not going to gamble on that john yeah. because again the, the heart of the bill is simplification and 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 taxing all right well revenue.
0: let's let's forsake a discussion let's say it is we agree we i'm not part of that the lsa <laughs> says it is 35 million dollars well, there's this wasn't going to be a tax cut year, isn't? Isn't it's a smaller tax cut than 240, but it's still a tax cut. Yeah, but not? we
3: were we're also there are other parts of the bill that yeah. would make this bill revenue neutral. The way we the way we we close oh, the nine of million now from the college well, that's cut okay. Well. we'll we'll factor that in. But there were there were the way we uh, look at business um, interest and in income, uh, we had places in the bill that that closed loopholes for the state. That would drive up revenue for the state so it, it, as you would know i mean there are places in which we're going to give a little and there are places we're going to take back a little and really it was the aspect there were two big things from a from what we believe to be an economic development standpoint that was uh double directed health manufacturing the number one industry in our state and then the elimination of a throwback rule which we heard terrific testimony on in ways and means about how that has a negative impact um, on companies in our state. At the same point, we're closing a couple of loopholes that, that businesses were, were uh, taking advantage of to, to make sure that we could offset those two losses. And I just note too, and Representative Delaney is right. I think the change in policy to recouple uh, the federal and state earned income tax credit is a tremendous thing for for low-income families they are doing the right thing. They're participating in the workforce. They're doing exactly what we want them to do. Let's not make it harder on them to file taxes and and, and get this credit. Let's make it as easy as possible because they're participating in the exact type of behavior we want to reward. And, this,
0: and, and under this change, they would be able to uh, get that
3: money much more
5: readily perhaps. And it simplifies life too. It, yeah, so yeah one comment on that particularly is, uh, the instruction booklet for the IT40 has gone from uh, 12 pages in 1993 to 63 pages now. Uh, 13 pages of that is the EITC issue because we're decoupled from the Federals. Uh, you would be able to, to take off uh, that amount by this recoupling, and that in itself is a good simplification, and Representative Houston mentioned the policy reasons behind that too, uh, but it certainly uh, goes to simplification.
0: If, if uh, the double direct... Bites the dust uh, to use a technical term, since so <laughs> you guys are all using tax uh, you know financial terms, is there enough in the bill still Andrew Berger, that, that you like to make it worthwhile? you talk, We heard about the throwback
2: the throwback rule helps manufacturing uh, certainly each individual business because you have so many forms the business modific- or the income modifications, the interest add back, which is another entirely complex jenga tower. Uh, <laughs> Each one's going to have to take a look at the final package to see if it's going to work for them. Um, The double direct to single direct, I think you can make that pretty narrowly defined and still eliminate a lot of the stuff that we get litigation on, and hopefully that's where it ends up. I mean, we're pretty committed to that, but uh, the throwback rule is definitely a positive, too.
0: Excellent. Well, unfortunately, we have to stop there. We have another Seventy-two pages of the bill to go, but we'll have to wait. I'm going to let you guys use the Jenga came uh, out on the floor during the yeah. floor debate. You can thank me later. And I do appreciate all of you uh, being here for this discussion. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative Todd Houston of Fishers, Democratic Representative Ed Delaney of Indianapolis, Micah Vinson of the Indiana Office of Management and Budget, and Andrew Berger of the Indiana Manufacturers Association. Can moving riverboat casinos to dry land keep Indiana's gaming industry afloat? We'll examine the odds on the next Indiana Lawmakers. Time now for our weekly discussion with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, a lot going around in my brain here. How did we get to this point in the discussion, uh, the the simplification? Where did it come from?
6: What was the impetus? Simple concept. The governor wanted to do something about tax simplification and tax simplification in in his mind may be a little bit different than what some of these legislators have in, in their minds now, but he convened a conference last June or July or whatever. to to try and look at these kinds of of things. And what he ended up doing was was a little bit strange because he brought in a bunch of, of, um, in the minds of some people, ideologically driven um, uh, think tanks and other thought leaders, the Americans for Tax Reform, the Mercatus Center. You mentioned, yeah, in the roundtable Grover Norquist and Arthur Laffer and some of the the American Legislative Exchange Council, and it became a, a little bit more of a philosophical uh, set of questions than I think a lot of uh, people had anticipated when you talked about, you know, just making things simpler and, and trying to, to drive some, some revenue-neutral kinds of, of simplification issues that would also help drive business and economic development in the state.
0: Was that the intention all along, was to try to couch or frame some of these ideological uh, issues or initiatives in that in the in the sort of framework broader
6: framework of simplification well that may have been the, the governor's intent but that that's not the way that the bill ended up um, coming out the the one that, that representative Houston is is championing right now and I think that what you're looking at is, is more of a simplification, but a lot of different oxes get gored in, in this bill, and, and you know, there are some people that in some industries that get help, some that get hurt. You know, We've, we've already talked about how the, the universities have, have managed to back out with the help of, of Speaker Bosma, the, uh, the doing away with the, the tax credit for the $250 contributions, but at the same time as the manufacturers would would be helped by the end of the double direct taxation issue you know, there are a lot of telecommunications interests that believe that they'd be hurt by some of the elements in the bill as well so there, there are all kinds of, of different causes and effects in this and it, it's you know in addition to the, the question about the fiscal impact you know, there are a lot of other questions here and where does it shake out I mean the battle lines clearly are starting to
0: form as those oxes that are about to get gored are saying hey not me, look over there. I
6: mean where does this shake out this session? This is going to be a question that's answered in the Senate. I think you know Representative Houston is is raising a lot of the questions right now and and putting some of these things on the table and we're seeing some of these shake out right now and when it gets over into the the Senate particularly the the Tax and Fiscal Policy Committee I think you'll see a lot of the answers finally coming up at, at that point once they understand the fiscal impacts and some of the policy questions. So the governor will at the end sign something that
0: purports to be simplification, fair? Is that a
6: most likely good yes. yes.
0: All right, we'll leave it there. Ed, thank you for your insight, as always. For more information, episode streams, and extra content, visit us on the web at WFYI.org/slash lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the internet as well. And remember you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanas. And on behalf of WFYI Public Media and Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for exclusive web content, including the best advice our guests have ever received. Until next week, take care. The Idea Economy is here at the Purdue Research Park. A powerful economic engine and a technology conduit from Chicago to Louisville. Purdue Research Park. The Idea Economy is here.